Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. When I look at Scripture, when I, when I grab the Bible and, and start to just meditate on it and think about it, you know, there's, there's just so much to it, isn't there? And the fact is, you know, we could go our whole life studying it, whole life reading it and still not get it all and derive it all. And, you know, to think of it in its totality, it, it, it could almost feel overwhelming. You could almost go, oh, but I, I just can't wrap my head around it all. I can't, I can't remember it all. I can't get it all. But I don't know about you, but sometimes, especially when it comes to Scripture, there are those one-liners, those simple little sentences that, that just seem to jump out and they can just mean so much. And, you know, people will sort of say, well, you've got to be careful with that because, you know, they could be taken out of context and things like that. And I go, well, yeah, true. That is true. Some people grab these, these little portions and they quote it and they're quoting it in a way that actually doesn't line up exactly with what Scripture is saying in that section or things like that. But at the same time, I've found God use that. People have grabbed that thing and it's, it's helped them. It's, it's, it's actually got them through whatever that stage was. So whether they were using it out of context, God still uses it. And I love that about the Scriptures. I love that about what God does. And it is sometimes those, those, those single moments, those, those small things, not necessarily the, the totality. Like for me, you know, doing Bible college, you know, like the, the whole totality of it was great, but I guess the things that really jumped out at me was just sort of, as I studied, there was just moments where I just went, oh, so that's why this, this, this is. And it just sort of helps everything fall into place. Now, a bit of a personal story about a one-liner that just sticks is um, when I was in year three, uh, my teacher, he was um, Mr. Hamilton, David Hamilton, and he, um, you know, down the road, he actually ended up being my, my footy coach right through high school, and during my later years of high school, I actually got employed by the high school as a, um, as a ministries coordinator, and so he was the one that actually stirred me and helped me pursue you know, ministry and outreach work and things like that. And um, it really did just launch the, the Christian school in Coffs Harbour into amazing things. They, they still do ministry into other high schools and they do camps and uh, trips over to Bali. They've got a big connection to, to Indonesia now uh, with mission trips and things like that going back and forth between the schools. But anyway, Mr. Hamilton was my year three teacher. That's where I first met him. And I don't know exactly... Uh, what the, the scenario was or what the test was, but we'd, we'd come to a, a period of schooling where we'd come up to, to some testing. And for whatever reason, I freaked out. I went into full panic mode, I think. And I don't know exactly what I did, whether I ran out of the class or just broke into tears or whatever, but I, I just I got this distinct memory still in my head of me in absolute chaos and, and, and panic and Mr. Helen came up to me, and, he, and I don't remember everything he said, but the main thing that I caught, and the, that one-liner that stuck with me, is it's just a test. Chris, it's just a test. Doesn't doesn't change who you are. Doesn't 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 mean you're any less than the other students. It doesn't, you know, you're not going to fail year three. <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, in year three, I was like thinking, well, this is the end of the world if I, if I don't get this right or something. I don't know what was going on in my head, but I'd worked myself up to that point. For, and Dave, Mr. Hamilton just had to go, hey, it's just a test. 
And the fact is that one line stuck with me all the way through school. And even now, you know, you know doing my Bible calls and things like that, I've never really stressed or worried again about tests or exams because I've always just had that one line in my head. It's just a test. If you fail, you fail. Yeah, whatever. You, you can move on from it. Um, I still remember, you know, lining up for, for my year 12, yeah, HSC exams. And there was always those few people you could just tell they're on edge. It's like, oh, this is like the year 12 exams. This is like the end of it all. You know, I've got to get this right. I walked in humming and singing and just having a blast. I, I, I couldn't wait to sit those tests because I knew it was the end of it all. <laughs> <laughs> but that one-liner of it's just a test stuck with me right through all that. So what I want to do, um, I've been, I guess, following a bit of a theme for the last little while and things like that going on, but I wanted to launch into something new. So what we're going to do is we're going to start a, a series, a, a book study, basically, going through the book of James. So not, not sure how many, how many weeks we'll go on for, but the fact is the book of James is only five, five chapters long, but there is so much in there. So much in there. Is that the only open book? No, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Let's just put it up there to something to look at. <laughs> and you know, the reason why I started with this idea of one-liners is that James is almost a fan of one-liners because all through his book, there's these just little tidbits that you can just grab a hold of and quote, and they're just great little lines that are practical, that are helpful in our Christian walk. And um, you know, his letter is actually really is one of the more practical of the letters of the New Testament. And you know, he really does just get into some nitty-gritties. He, he, he does, doesn't pull his punches. He hits pretty hard at times. But it's actually for the benefit of the body. He's sort of saying, no, come on, let's get this right. Let's make sure we do things well. And so he just really gives a teaching, gives these little tidbits of wisdom. And it's actually a, quite a mix of topics as, as such. But he obviously really felt led. No, I really want to, to get these points out. So I guess a bit of, you know, some background on the book of James. Uh, so obviously there's a, there's a few Jameses in the Bible, isn't there? You know, we've got, 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 got the apostles, um, James, son, son of Zebedee and things like that. But it is commonly believed that, because at the, at the start of James, if you've got it open there, you'll see you know, this is a letter from James. That's all we hear. But it is commonly believed that it was the half-brother of, of Jesus Christ, his, his blood brother, his, his younger, younger brother, um, son of Joseph and Mary. Now, James was at first a non-believer. If you're familiar with the, the stories of the Gospels, there was those moments where you know, the family was trying to get to Jesus and he says, oh, no, no, I'll deal with them later. And it says in you know, John 7, verse 5, he says, you know, for even his brother didn't believe in him. So we don't know if that's specifically talking about James or one of his other brothers. There's history holds that Jesus most likely had multiple brothers and sisters. Um, but we can assume you know, James might, was part of that family decision. They're going, come on, Jesus, what are you on about at first? They didn't actually quite understand what he was going on about. But he is later mentioned in Acts 1.14, as part of the, the faithful after the resurrection. So Acts 1.14 says they were all, all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So again, we can assume that James, who was later mentioned in Acts uh, by name, 
was one of these brothers that realized, oh, no, what, Jesus, what, my, what my brother Jesus was doing was spot on. Um, so history does hold that he later became the leader of the Church of Jerusalem, so the, 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 the Jewish um, converts to, to, to Christianity, um, and, and in a sense actually took over from Peter because Peter eventually went abroad and started to minister abroad as well. But James stayed in Jerusalem as far as we know. Um, and he is found commenting on the work of Paul uh, when Paul re- returns to the Jerusalem church to report on his working with the, with the Gentiles. So that's in Acts 15, 13 to 21. Um, the book of James is considered one of the earliest letters um, written um, in, in, in the time frame of the, of the, of the church. They, they believe it was roughly around 45 to 49 AD, so in that first sort of Uh, 20-odd years of the church as such. Um, uh, And they do know that uh, Josephus writes that James was martyred in AD 62. So again, uh, that's why a lot of these New Testament letters don't mention the the destruction of the temple because obviously that would have been a pretty pretty huge matter. Um, But we we can be really quite confident that the the New Testament letters were written before that AD 70 mark, which is when the the temple was destroyed by, by the Romans. Um, so the book of James is definitely written to the Jewish component of the church. He's not writing to the, to, to the Gentile cities and that sort of thing. In his opening um, statement there, if you want to open it up to the book of James, right towards the end of your Bibles. I should have had it ready. Because it's one of the small ones, it's hard to find sometimes. So just after Hebrews. So it says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. So that word there, scattered, is, is, is dystopia. That's where we get this idea of the dispersion of the, 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 the dispersion of the church. And so... It's written after that moment in, in Acts, uh, if you're familiar with it, where you know, Stephen got, got martyred and the church, the, the Christian um, community started to really get persecuted and they had to, had to scatter, they had to go abroad. Um, and so here he is sending this letter. So it's not to one particular um, location like Paul's letters where he was writing to you know, Galatia or Philippi and things like that. This one was obviously sent out to sort of say, no, send this out and make sure it gets shared around. Um, just as an encouragement from the brother of Jesus to the church. And the fact is, you know, we don't know how closely Jesus' family followed him and things like that, but there's definitely a lot of parallels between what Jesus taught um, and what James speaks, um, particularly the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and things like that. But there's also a lot of co- correlation between that and the wisdom writings of the book of Proverbs. So as we work through James, you'll probably see just, just these, these parallels between the, the, the wisdom teachings of Jesus and the wisdom teachings of the Old Testament. And as I said, the book of James really is just these, these little tidbits. It's almost like the, the wisdom writings of, of James. He just writes these little tidbits of, of wisdom. So I say, hey, make sure you get this right. Make sure you do this. So as I said, it really is a, almost a book of one-liners in that sense. So the basic structure is that there, there is an introduction. So the first chapter roughly 
um, in our chapter breakdowns, because as you know, with letters of the Bible, they weren't written with chapters and verses. That's something we've added in later, just so we can find sections of it. So the first section, the, the introduction as such of the letter, does touch on these these topics that he wants to hit, touch on, but then he goes into obviously greater detail. And there's about about 12 to 13 sort of unique sort of little themes or topics that he addresses. So what I want to do is that we're going to just touch on, I guess, the, the introduction to the book of James a little bit uh, before we finish up today. Uh, before I keep moving though, I do, I do need to give credit. Um, I This isn't all my own work. I am using an outline that I've, um, I've Looked, looked, looked through a few um, uh, online to sort of say, okay, what can help me sort of frame my teaching? So, so just want to give credit to it's O.S. Hawkins, and it was um, an outline found on the, the Southwestern Journal of Theology. So that's just my my, my credit given due. Um, so I've used his outline and sort of fleshed it out and put my little bits in there as well. But it's not all my own work, just so you know. <laughs> so how about we read? Let's just read from verses. 1 to 12 in the first chapter of James. So again, I'm I'm reading from New Living Translation, so it might be slightly different depending on what you're looking at. So this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers, believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is unsettled as the waves of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honoured them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them, that they will fade like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, and the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. So it does keep going on there, but we'll pause there. In a nutshell, what James is starting to address is people that are under stress. They've been dispersed. They've been persecuted. They've had to pack up shop, set, pack up business, whatever they were doing, and move on. And the fact is, you know, we're currently watching a, a nation having to go through that. You know, people in Ukraine are, are making choices to, to flee. You know, Mandy's been sharing um, bits of information that she's been getting, and you know, we're getting bits and pieces from Josh and things like that. And some people are choosing to stay. Other people are making this choice to flee, and you know, they're, they're fleeing their, their, what they know. Their livelihoods, their 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 hometowns, um, and really, like I couldn't imagine anything more unsettling. And that is the people that James is writing to. So there are people that are 
experiencing stress. They're experiencing trial. And so obviously that's what he's going to address and that's what he's speaking into. So saying, look, I know what you're going through is tough, but let's make sure we do it well. Let's, let's make sure we get a godly perspective on it. And you know, like, yeah, you know, stress, it, it's a word we throw around pretty liberally now, now in our society, don't we? Oh yeah, a bit stressed, a bit, bit worried about this. But it really is, it's a, it is a reactionary thing that we do when things are unsettled, when things are displaced. You know, it creates pressure on our lives. And so what James does is that he really just makes some interesting points about stress and, and trial. And so I just want to highlight five, five points. So the first one is that stress is predictable. You know, that verse 2 says, you know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Or in, or in the New Living, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know, if you notice, it doesn't say if trials come. It says when. You know, we've all lived long enough to know that this world is going to dish stuff out. <laughs> it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You know, when, when is the next thing? You know, and, you know, sadly, people get caught up in a, an attitude at times, almost, don't they? Where they say, oh, I'm just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. <laughs> you know? Because they know that's just what life is. You know? Trials will come. Stresses will come. So he's pointing out that it's, it's predictable. It's inevitable. It's un- inescapable. It's unavoidable. And so it's not so much a, a question of trying to escape it, but how do, how do we deal with it? How do, we, how do we move through it? So as Christians, we can face two basic types of trials. You know, when we're talking about trials that, that God's allowing or God's orchestrating around us, there's trials of correction. And these are ones that come our way when we're out of the will of God. When God's just saying, oh, no, that's probably not going to be great for you. Let, let me course correct you. Let me bring you back on to where I think you need to be. You know, think of Jonah. You know, he's, he's, he's the epitome of trials of correction. You know, it goes one way and God says, no, 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 come on. <laughs> I need you over here. The other type of trials that, that we come through as, as Christians is trials of perfection. And these actually come when we are in the will of God, but it's God fine-tuning us. It's God shaping us and moulding us into the perfection and the, the salvation that he's calling us to. You know, think of the disciples on the sea during the storm. You know, they were meant to be there. Jesus said, no, we're going. He called them across and said, no, we're going to go over here. But the storm hits, but the storm was there to, to help Jesus shape them just a little bit more. So when you're looking at trials, when you're sort of going through stuff, so maybe ask God, God, is this, is this you correcting or is this you shaping? Is this you perfecting me? But just remember, it's, it, it, it's predictable. We all know that it's going to come. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 to 13 that these, these trials are common to man. Yeah. They, they are, aren't we? We can all relate to that. Once we realize that stress is indeed predictable, we can move on and learn to deal with it. 
But the, the next point is, is that stress is problematic. It hurts. <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> yeah. And in that sense, we, yeah, not, not, not meant to be dealt with lightly. It's not just something we ignore. It is something we need to work through. And so when James sort of says, you know, you're going to be faced with trials of, of many kinds. Yeah, that word there means in the Greek, you know, many colored or varied. And so James is admitting, you know, not all trials are alike. They, they change, they shift. You know, some are job related, some are financial, some are domestic, some are from you know, fear of failure. You know, some trials are natural, you know, accidents, sickness, disappointments, painful circumstances. But there are also supernatural trials as well, where the attacks of the enemy and just the, the, the nature of our spiritual journey, there's things that push us, that, 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 that stress us. But we can take comfort in the fact that trials are transitory. You know, they're, they're there to go through into whatever the next step is. They're not something that we necessarily get bogged into. So that's first thing, you know, stress is predictable, stress is problematic. But what James highlights in, in Scripture from a godly perspective is that stress is a paradox. You know, he says, consider it pure joy. Yeah, and in a yeah, human reason, we go, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean consider it pure joy? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a tough time here. Why are you telling me to enjoy this? And a line out of the study said, yeah, generally we count it all joy when we avoid trials, when we, when we don't get into trouble, don't we? You know, when we, when we, when we you know, have a close call, like, whew, glad I missed that one. Yeah, you do get a little buzz, don't you, from that? But Jesus sort of saying, no, when you're in the trials, consider it pure joy. So what is he saying? That word consider, again, I'm not saying the Greek words here because I can never pronounce them right. But it's a word, you know, when we consider, to consider it pure joy, that word consider is to think ahead, to think forward. It's not necessarily looking at it in the now. It's actually going, oh, well, what's this leading to? Thinking ahead. Consider, you know, what's it, what comes after this? Where's this leading me? Where's this taking me? You know, the fact is there's multiple examples of people that were considering, you know, but yes, this is tough. Yes, this is hard. But what's it leading to? You know, Job in the Old Testament, you know, we all know Job went through his trials, didn't we? <laughs> he got hammered. But in Job 23 verse 10, he says, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I'll come out as pure gold. You know, even in that absolute trauma that Job went through, somewhere in him, just he said, no, but God's going to use this to refine me. God's going to use this to perfect me. And Jesus himself looked ahead beyond his own suffering. You know, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. You know, he knew the outcome, but he knew that the trial was, was part of that journey. So he was considering it. He was considering where it was leading to, and that brought him great joy. 
And so when, when James is sort of saying that, consider it joy. Consider the joy of when we move forward through this. So the stress of trials is a, is a paradox. When we have a godly perspective, we, we, we don't get caught up in the now of it. We realize, well, all right, God, where's this going to take me? What's this leading to? So in that sense, you know, it can lead us, as you, as you said, it's going to build things in us. It's going to build endurance. It's going to strengthen us. So in that sense, stress doesn't have to be our foe. It can be our friend. Fifth little interesting point about stress is that in God, it's purposeful. And there's a few things that he highlights there. You know, where he says, you know, your faith develops your perseverance. The word testing there, you know, the testing of your faith, is, can be translated purging. This idea of you know, weeding out and getting rid of the muck. That's what trials and testings can do. You know, scripture uses that image of, of, of purifying gold, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, when you go to, if you ever get the chance, or if you have been down there, Sovereign Hill, with the gold fields down there. And one of the demonstrations they do is they actually do heat up gold and melt it. And they talk about the, the dross that they can constantly, even after they do it you know, a dozen times, there's still little bits of muck that can come through that they skim off to get that gold more pure. It's the same, same thing that God's using trials and, and, and testings in our lives to produce perfection, to produce endurance and, and perseverance. So the purpose behind stress and, 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 the, and these trials, you know, the first one, it produces perseverance. You know, perseverance is to stand fast. It's that staying power that will help us stand up under greater tests and pressures. You know, out of that reading today, you know, it said, you know, this is 2 Corinthians 1 verse 6, when we are weighed down with the troubles, it is your comfort in salvation. It, or it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And then you can patiently endure the things we suffer. You know, to patiently endure is that, it's that endurance, that purpose of, of learning and, and developing through trial and testing. The next thing is, is that the stress produces perfection. The first one is perseverance, but that leads into perfection. Yeah, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. That's verse 4. Yeah, that word mature is you know, to, to carry work until its end, to become fully grown. You know, our goal in Christian living is, is spiritual maturity. We're not called to just you know, stay where we are. We're, we're called to, to develop and, and grow closer to God and, grow, and become more like Jesus Christ. And that's what these trials and, and stresses can do. They've got purpose to shape us. But stress also produces prayer. I've spoken before about the power of prayer, but the fact is, you know, when we're under trial and, and, and stress, I don't know about you, but it, it drives you to pray more. And, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> you're actually communing with God. You're actually going to God. Just going, God, this, this is crazy. This is nuts. Help me. So it produces prayer. 
So, you know, verse 5 said, yeah, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Yeah, you're going through a trial and testing, it's like, God, I don't know where to go this. Ask Him. God, show me the next step. Show me, give me the wisdom to make good decisions here. Ask Him. Yeah, He's a God that wants to give good gifts. So these trials, this stress, it is purposeful. It produces purity, perseverance, perfection, and prayer in our lives. The last point is, is that stress is profitable. It's profitable. It actually sort of balances out the scales, you could say. In those last couple of verses that we read, verses 9 to 12, it describes three people. It describes a, man, a person with pr- poverty, person with plenty and a person with pressure and God has a way of bringing those all up to the to the same level field and in verse 9 it says believers who are poor have something to boast about for God has honored them and another version says you know the, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position you know Again, from our worldly perspective, we look at the poor and go, well, yeah, no, they've got nothing to stand on. They're they're destitute. But in the eyes of God, he's worth so much more than what he equates to in earthly value. And this is the the mystery of the Christian faith, isn't it? You know, that the last shall be first and the low shall be made high. Yeah, so James reverses it as well. He sort of says, yeah, if you're low and and, and in, in poverty, no that God will lift you up. And if you are up, if you are, have plenty. You know, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he'll pass away like a wild flower. Now, the gospel has this leveling effect. Now, there's some great mirroring here to, to the journey of Jesus. You know, in, in, in one day, Jesus both lifted people up and brought people down. You know, in Mark 10, 49, you know, to the blind Bartimaeus, the beggar on the side of the road, he said, rise. But then not much longer later, he saw Zacchaeus up in the tree and he said, come down. He knew what was necessary to bring these people up to where they needed to be in the eyes of God. And the last one. Stress is not only profitable for those that are in poverty and those who are in plenty, but for those who are under pressure. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, but that, even that statement alone mirrors the Beatitudes a little bit, doesn't it? You know, Matthew 5.10, you know, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So these these stresses, you know, not only do they have purpose, but they 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 add they add value to us. They they they, they give us better perspective. And it doesn't matter what position in life we're in. If life's going well, then you know, understand that God's you know in it. If things are tough and we need to be lifted up, God will. So to finish up, 
And as I said, these these themes, these initial sort of ideas that you sort of brought in here, we'll, you'll see them tie back into some of the other sections through through James. So as we journey, we'll sort of take our time through it. But there's some great just little teachings in there. But just to finish this up, you know that you know, I just want to read this statement. You know, stress is the menace of modern man, but remember that it is predictable. It's not a question of when. Oh, it's not a question of if, but when. Stress is also problematic. It does hurt. And if we do not deal with it, it can be destructive. But in God, stress is also paradoxical. We can count it as joy because we know that the final eternal outcome will be glorious. Stress is also purposeful. God is testing us, putting us through the furnace so that we might come out as pure gold. And finally, James reminds us that stress is profitable, that we can think ahead to the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So it's a topic we're, we're familiar with. Every one of us can nod our head at, you know, stress <laughs> has its role in our life and it's, it's going to be there. It's not if, it's when. But let's be people that see it for what it is and use it for what it is and let God work his way in our lives through it. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for all that you're doing in our church and in our own lives. And I do pray, Lord God, that we can just constantly have that, that right perspective and when those trials and those tests come, Lord God, that we see your hand at work, Lord God, both in the hard times and in the good times. So God, I thank you for this church. I give them to you. And I just ask that you continue to lead and guide them. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.